0: Welcome to another Booch News Podcast with Ian Griffin.
1: So I'm on the phone this morning with Hannah Crum, the president of Kombucha Brewers International, who have just published the Kombucha Code of Practice this week. Hi, Hannah. How are you doing?
0: I'm great, Ian.
1: Good. Well, good to catch up. And uh, it seems like quite a major announcement was made um, here we are in mid July and uh, quickly for people checking into this if you can give a summary what is the kombucha code of practice
0: sure so as an industry desiring to self-regulate that means we need to have some sort of regulations. And so the code of practice is our um, you know, our law, if you will, for how we intend to make our products, label our products, so that there's transparency and um, clarity to the consumer. Um, you know, if this code of practice had been released when we founded the organization in 2014, it would have been very straightforward. Tea, sugar, SCOBY. Obviously, in the intervening six years, um, we've seen a lot of innovation in the category. We've seen people who have different types of production processes, who are um, using other food manufacturing processes from other industries in order to create kombucha products. And so, you know, part of why we took so long to publish the code of practice is a couple for a couple of reasons. So, one is, of course, we wanted to reflect. The products that were in the marketplace already being labeled as kombucha we also then needed to connect with all of our members through a variety of means so for example we had you know in-person meetings at kombucha cons that spurred a lot of conversations Um, you know we had we had some initial thoughts on how we would label things and got a lot of feedback on that that helped us change our thought process Uh, I then engaged in numerous um, one-on-one conversations with brands at different levels uh, and various stakeholders to better understand how we could put this into a format that would hold our healthy boundaries about what kombucha is, as well as create a flexible framework that could allow for additional innovation and research to help us either tighten or loosen depending on what we continue to learn about our product.
1: Right, right. Well, um, what you've resolved, the result seems to be, I, I printed it out, it's like 14, 13, 14 pages of quite, um, you know, it kind of reads like a legal document, right, with section 1.1, 1.2, 2.0, all the way to section 10.2.3. And what you've done is, like you say, created a framework. Um, what do you expect the the sort of consumer to see on the shelf, so to speak, as a result, as the code of practice becomes accepted in the industry?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I think what we're going to see is a relabeling of products, making it more clear um, what products are. So an example would be kombucha from base. So initially, when you hear that, you might think, what the heck does that mean? What is base? And, you know, originally the terminology was kombucha from concentrate. However, through our numerous conversations, it became clear that the word concentrate has a very specific meaning. And um, basically, like when we think of juice from concentrate, what that means is the juice has been juiced. All of the water has been taken out of that juice. So you're left with this very concentrated flavor. And then they're adding water back into the juice in order to put it on the shelf right so there's there's a processing step that's going on there and as we know consumers make a they make a choice based on is the juice from concentrate is it fresh squeezed and you know obviously labeling that hasn't led to a decrease in the sales of juice it simply has allowed consumers to find the juice products that harmonize with their choices And so while we weren't able to use from concentrate, there is a a term of art in the beverage world called beverage base. So the way to think about that would be, you know, when you go to the soda fountain and you're grabbing whatever soda and it's mixed with the carbonated water and you know there's a little bit of syrup and that mix between those two is what's creating a palatable beverage. And so that bag of concentrated flavor that's being mixed with the carbonated water, it's called beverage base. And so um, the way in which this kombucha from base is being produced, as far as we understand, is, you know, kombucha is vinegar. And there's a couple different ways we can make it. If we do a traditional vinegar, that can take months, if not years, depending on the process. However, for a lot of commercial vinegars, you can speed that process up through aeration and through different techniques and equipment and so kombucha from base is a product that's been created in a similar fashion because we're essentially tea vinegar, but you obviously couldn't consume that kombucha base straight. It would have to be mixed with water, flavor, et cetera, in order to be palatable. A lot of those products then also use stevia or alternative um, sweeteners in order to create a zero-sugar beverage that, again, that type of product is really gonna resonate with a certain type of consumer. And because what we recognize about our culture is we're one of diversity, we're one of inclusivity, um, even though these products may not um, be what a purist or traditionalist would think of as kombucha, we also know that we want a diversity of consumers drinking kombucha and coming into the category. And so, for con- some yeah. consumers, that product is going to be exactly what they want because it's fitting whatever their specific needs are. For other consumers, they're going to want that. Full, funky SCOBY floating in there, you know, type of product. Others are going to want one that maybe is filtered or doesn't have as much of that SCOBY in there, but also isn't pasteurized or isn't from base. And so we understand there's a diversity of products. We want to be inclusive. And so that's why we um, made all of this terminology very specific. And we hope easy for consumers to understand once we start the consumer education piece.
1: Yeah, well, it, it sounds to me like I mean what you just described and what the code of practice reads like is to use an American term, it's like inside baseball, right? It's got phrases like you know, uh, like even saying base. I don't think the average person at a at a pizza joint, the uh, filling the glass with Coke or Pepsi or whatever would think it's uh, made from a base. I mean, the people in the beverage industry know, but in, in, if you can kind of think, is this gonna be like a good housekeeping seal of approval on bottles of kombucha that people will see, oh, this adheres to the code of practice, or or are you saying there'll need to be an education so that these labels will have more specific detail like, like you just said, like from base or, or process or whatever? Are you are you Both. are you going with just a simple label or is it like a like a good housekeeping or is it going to be much more specific for consumers to need education on?
0: Well the specificity comes in needing to harmonize with the code. So like a product from base, just like a juice from concentrate we're expecting that to be labeled on the front of the bottle so that a consumer can immediately look and differentiate that product from something that's, you know, been crafted in a more traditional fashion. And so um, absolutely, consumers are gonna be able to look at the seal and know that it's been properly vetted, it's been audited, they've submitted their documentation to a third party. So KBI is not going to be the auditor of the seal process. You know, as a trade association, we care about trade, commerce, consumer education, getting more people drinking kombucha on a regular basis, um, asserting why it should be at the top of the grocery list, especially in these times when we're really focused on boosting our immunity. And we are not interested in, you know, knowing every little you know, detail of your process. That's for a third-party auditor. To, to take okay. care of. And so there, there really is going to be a division between those two things.
1: Okay, yeah. And I mean, one of the aspects of the code, which of course is available on the Kombucha Brewers International homepage for anybody who wants to go click on it and read through it, but I, I saw one of the – uh, towards the end, one of, uh, when it gets into kind of the science, the analytical pro- profile of kombucha. But you also touch on what has been a hot button for the industry going back to the 2010 recalls of uh, the level of alcohol. And um, presumably, can you talk about how the code of practice may reassure consumers that the kombucha they're taking off the shelf is you know, below, say, 0.5% if it's in certain countries or it looks like Canada allows one percent. Yeah, absolutely. 1%. So
0: in order, in order to apply for the seal, you'll have to submit that documentation. And so um, that will be a, a seal of confidence to the consumer. And as we can see, those ethanol levels vary based on the country, where you are, and sometimes even within specific states in the same country. So for example, in Australia, um, three states have a half a percent or less. And Three states have 1.15%. The same thing is true in Canada. And so that can be confusing because I think here in the United States, because it's been half a percent for over 100 years, right, that sort of started in prohibition or about 100 years, um, There's a, there's been a an assumption made that that means that half a percent or above that that is alcoholic and dangerous and toxic, just like a 4% beer or an 8% beer or 12% wine. And that isn't actually true. That number wasn't selected because of a rigorous scientific study identifying where alcohol toxicity begins. It's simply a number that was utilized for taxing products that, you know, it's a sin tax, so to speak, right? And so, um, you know, historically, that number was actually set higher at 2%, but too many too many people were abusing that two percent number, and so they made it stricter at half a percent. And I think it's important for people to understand that kombucha is a traditionally fermented low-alcohol beverage, and that that alcohol in kombucha has a very specific purpose and does not create the same harmful impact on the body as higher-alcohol products do. It also right. doesn't inebriate like higher-alcohol products do, and so. But I think culturally, there's just been some confusion around that because we just assume that number therefore means something that it doesn't.
1: Yeah, no, I can personally speak to that because I started drinking kombucha when I gave up alcohol ten years, twelve years ago, and and with one or two exceptions where I might have accidentally bought a hard kombucha or had draft kombucha that had fermented over. You know, you can drink an awful lot of it, and I drink two pints a day, and I don't feel any buzz. So I think you'd have to drink gallons to uh, have the equivalent of a half a pint of good beer. And just one more thing, and this has been in the press already, covered by BevNet and other outlets since it, since it was introduced uh, to Code of Practice, um, and there have seems to be divergent opinions. There was a couple of producers quoted that uh, they were taking issue with the fact that if they use filtration, for instance, they might have to say that this is processed kombucha. What, what, what's your uh, anticipation for the acceptance of this by all producers? And, and if some don't accept it, do you, how do you see this? Like peer pressure, consumer demand that the code of practice labels will be looked for? Uh, how do you see that playing out?
0: Exactly right. Self regulation is just that. You know, a code of practice is only as good as, as, as its adherence. I mean, it's the same of any law. Like, a law is only effective if people follow it. Um, and so, you know, there's always going to be complaints, and we know there's going to be divergent opinions, but honestly, that's great because it means we started a conversation and it's getting people really thinking about these finer details. To the point specifically about labeling if it's filtered or not. Beer advertises that it's filtered, cold filtered, is sometimes a point of pride, um, you know, and it does create a different mouthfeel and nutritional profile to the consumer. So we think it's very fair to let people know that the product's been lightly filtered or filtered or however you want to phrase that. You know, a lot of times we have allowed the language to be uh, flexible, meaning that as long as they're communicating the spirit of the language, they can then choose the exact words they want in order to describe their product, and all of these terms of art can be used as an advertising opportunity as a way of saying hey this is how my product um, fits with the standard and this is how it's different from other products and so we actually think it's going to be a, an excellent point of differentiation that people can use to highlight you know like I said earlier there's some people who don't want a bunch of stuff floating around in their boots and so for them to look at a bottle that says filter they're gonna be like yes that's the kind I want um, yeah. for other people who want that funkier experience, they're going to – it's the same as beer, right? Like you look for an unfiltered beer, you know you're going to have a different type of mouthfeel, taste, and experience than a cold-filtered beer from a bottle.
1: Right, right. So um, I did read – you mentioned earlier you would had a lot of conversations leading up to this. I read somewhere this has been like a five-year process that kicked off that KBI has engaged with an awful lot of stakeholders to come up with the Code of Practice. So it was released this week. So, in terms of a timeline looking forward, what do you see the next, like, 6, 12, 18 months uh, uh, involving for the Code of Practice? What would some of the highlights be?
0: Well, we're in the process of developing the SEAL program. Um, Once we have sort of the underlying rubric frame, you know, directly adopted from the Code of Practice turned into an auditable format, we then intend to create education right? There's no point in creating a seal or a code that then you don't have any education on how to achieve those those standards and qualifications. And so what this does is it creates a domino effect. So there's consumer education, so they understand what the different terms of art are on the label. There's brewer education, so that way they can um, meet the standards requested um, by the Code of Practice and the and the SEAL program. And then there's, you know, the widespread adoption of the SEAL and how that's going to then play out to consumers when they're grabbing products off the shelf. And so there's two SEALs that we're looking at. One would be a sort of certified kombucha where it's meeting um, the definition. But then we also want to acknowledge kombucha's traditional roots, which is as a raw, A wild fermentation, which at times is a lot more difficult to control and has a shorter shelf life and, you know, doesn't have the same type of, um, you know, distance it can travel compared to products that are maybe pasteurized or are shelf stable. And so for those types of products, we have traditionally fermented. And so that's a way that the consumer can, again, choose the product that's right for them. And like I said, we want that diverse range of consumers. We want everybody to find the kombucha that's right for them or right for which mood, right? Maybe sometimes you have the um, pasteurized kombucha or the no sugar kombucha and other times you're going to have that fuller unfiltered kombucha so you know we think of this not just as like I'm picking my one kombucha brand but rather like other craft industries I want this you know this kombucha for this moment that kombucha for that moment and and think of it as an entire category as opposed to just oh here's three brands on the shelf at the grocery store.
1: Right, so for kombucha brewers, for maybe smaller brands who uh, might or might not be KBI members who are tuning into this or picking up on the fact the Code of Practice is now public, what do you uh, recommend they do if they have any questions or concerns, especially maybe if they're not KBI members, they're not maybe getting bulletins from you, Um, is there a way they can engage and give feedback or find out answers to questions they might have?
0: Absolutely. Um, You know, we're a transparent organization and the seal is intended to be for both KBI members and non-KBI members. You know, we're always incentivizing membership because we feel when we all chip in together, that's how we um, make the best choices for our entire community. But we also understand that, you know, sometimes it's not the right moment for folks to be a member of our organization, but we still want them to reap the benefit of all the work that we're doing. And so, um, you know, Anyone can reach out to us. We have a contact form on the website. We're open to receiving all feedback from folks. And you know, at some point, we'll probably be collecting feedback for a period of time. The board will then review that feedback. Um, you know, as a young organization, as one that's been bootstrapping for a while, I have to admit, we don't have a technical committee. We just haven't had that same robust committee volunteer participation because the vast majority of our members are small family-owned brands, oftentimes with even another job. And so finding the time to be able to focus on issues outside of their own business has been difficult. But again, we're here for the long haul, right? This, our organization, our community, this category is going to be here forever. And it, you know, from here on out, and it's going to continue to evolve and grow. And hopefully what this does is entices people to want to get more involved, to want to contribute more with their feedback. And you know, in every regional committee, so KBI Canada, KBI Europe, KBI Latin America, you know, Mm -hmm. we've gone over this. And so, you know, this really is an international um, code that we're excited to for everybody to to use and and use to their advantage
1: right but again just to reinforce the fact what you're saying as I understand it is we're at a point in time and, and a continuing process it's not like the codes published that's it it's done and dusted it's it's been developed over a number of years now you're going to get feedback you're going to develop these uh, these artworks for seals and 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 look for the presumably a like you say, an independent audit organization, and, and this will be continuing uh, under development. Is that is that right?
0: Exactly right. Just like our culture continuously evolves, just, you know, Culture, in many sense, be that your kombucha culture or the culture you live in, um, that's what this is intended to do. We really want this to be as we have more research, as we have more funding, as we have a deeper understanding of the differences in these products, that then just creates a richer um, background for people to understand. Um, these products. And really, I think that fermented foods and fermented drinks are the opportunity for the 21st century. And even though some brands may find, hey, you know what, I fall outside of this code of practice, it doesn't mean that their products then should not exist. It just means um, they need to rebrand it as something more specific to what it is. Um, You know, there's people who drink kombucha, love kombucha, know about kombucha, there's a certain health promise Mm -hmm. um, within This product and so we just want to make sure we're continuing to communicate what that is in a way that's supported by research so that people understand this isn't you know a cure-all this but it is something that can help you in a real tangible acute way meaning like as soon as you drink it you can get a benefit from it
1: yeah well it sounds like it it would uh, when it's fully fledged be a real service to consumers so this has been great Hannah thanks so much for spending time to uh, Update people on this, and, and I'll look forward to connecting with you again as as the process continues, and uh, we'll put some more information on Boots News at that point. Meanwhile, for anybody listening to this, there is a link on Boots News as well as in the kombucha kombuchabrewersinternational.org uh, uh, website um, where you can find the code of practice. So great to talk to you, Hannah.
0: Thanks, Ian. Great to talk to you too. Thanks for listening to Booch News. For more about kombucha, please visit BoochNews.com.